0: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty.
1: At the first treatment, I would bring all of the instruments I could carry. (laughs) So I had a Native American flute. I had a ukulele. I had hand chimes that create a very resonant sound uh, in this very bright, steel, glass environment in the chemotherapy unit.
0: The chemo unit is at the Center for Integrative Therapies at Boston's Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. The patient Suzanne Hanser was working with had metastatic breast cancer.
1: And I would just improvise on some of these instruments and say we're just going to try some music and just let me know if you like it, if you want more, if we should try something else. And then I would just suggest sometimes that they just breathe with the music or suggest that they just imagine being in a beautiful, comforting place.
0: Suzanne is a professor of music therapy at Berklee College of Music. The women had agreed to work with her on research investigating the effects of how music changes a cancer patient's psychological and physiological responses to treatment.
1: And in the second session, we would start with what they really appreciated from the first session and had the opportunity to improvise with me. So I had a rain stick Something very simple to play. But when you close their eyes, it often transports you to a rainforest or a waterfall. And we improvised and created this musical atmosphere for chemotherapy. In the final session, we did some of that and also provided an opportunity for each woman to write a song. And I remember one woman saying, well, there's just no way I could write music. And I said, well, perhaps there's something important you want to say to someone. Someone that you love, someone who's cared for you. And she said, oh, I don't know. I don't really, can't think of anything I'd like to say right now. And I said, well, how about writing a song to someone? She said, no, I I don't really think so. And then I said, perhaps you'd like to write a song about our experience. You seem to have enjoyed our music therapy sessions. And she just started singing. The music is here. The dancing is here. Back and forth we go. The music will help me. The music can aid me. I think that it really will help. It is here when I need it. It is here when I want it. The music will be right for me. Who would have thought? Some of the women participating in our study said, I never thought chemotherapy would be fun. But, you know, in these sessions, they were providing a really beautiful atmosphere for processing what they were going through. There's a lot of research out there that speaks to the many physiological changes that happen during a music therapy session, Uh, decreased heart rate, decreased blood pressure, their perception of pain. Individuals who had chronic pain, they didn't necessarily have their pain go away, but several reflected on how that process where they were, listening to very meaningful music changed, well, the way that they experienced pain. For one person, he said that the throbbing nature of his pain improved and it became less noticeable. If a person sees that they can manage the pain, that the pain they thought was constant can actually change while they're engaged with music, then they know that they can somehow take control of this pain. Everyone can probably find a piece of music that they love. Being able to listen to that piece of music when we're in a crowded noisy environment or we're in a physician's waiting room Wherever we might be, we can use music to change our mood. So reflecting on how music affects you will teach you about the music that you might want to play when you're feeling really agitated, or the music that you might need when you're feeling really lonely or depressed. A musical experience that engages someone, that makes them dance, that makes them think, that makes them remember, that helps them go back to a wonderful opportunity to live life to its fullest.
0: That's Suzanne Hanser, professor of music therapy at Berklee College of Music, who helped establish the music therapy program at the Zakem Center for Integrative Therapies at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. So, can music help heal the body as much as it can heal the soul. That's what we're going to take a look at today. And joining us now to help us with that is Psyche Louie. She's the director of the Music, Imaging, and Neural Dynamics Laboratory, or the MIND Lab, at Northeastern University, and also a professor, associate professor of creativity and creative practice there. Professor Louie, welcome to On Point. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, um, I find that Everyone who comes into this area of research has a very interesting story about what drew them to it. So how did you first get involved in the idea of music and not just the mind, but the body?
2: I've always enjoyed listening to music, and I've also been playing music since I was about five. I started piano when I was five and violin when I was seven, like many Asian kids. Uh, I was also pre-med. I also wanted to uh, take science courses and grow up to be a doctor. Um, and as part of that, in high school, this is in Vancouver in Canada, I went to um, for, volunteer in a, a nursing home um, at the time. And like my other friends, I would go in and help these older adults, you know, bring them food and chat with them. And the average age there was 87. So a lot of these older adults had dementia. They didn't know. um, Some of them didn't recognize their family members. Some of them didn't know what year it was. Um, And then there was one time when I was in the dining hall with um, them, and I I noticed there was a piano in the cafeteria, and and I just started playing, and I was working on some Beethoven uh, piano sonata at the time, And so I just started playing that. And then one of the nurses um, threw something at me and said, hey, Psyche, how much do we have to pay you to lighten it up? (laughs) And so, well, I didn't know what. I also I could play. Um, so I actually found some music that was folk tunes that was in the piano bench. Um, so things like um, Little Brown Jug and Clementine. So these kind of well-known um, traditional tunes. And um, so I just started sight-reading them. And then amazingly, um, these th- these older adults started humming along and not only humming along, but harmonizing and remembering all the words. Um, and so these are some of these folks are... Um, so far along in, in dementia that they didn't really know sentences. They couldn't yeah. can finish their, their own sentences. But for them to remember all the words and to remember the harmonies, um, they, something must be getting through to them. So that really made a strong impression on me, and I ended up studying psychology and music and doing neuroscience of music.
0: Okay. I have to let people know, since you can't see... Uh, uh, Professor Louie, right now, you're wearing the best t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it, is my it, says, favorite shirt. it says music plus science equals sexy. So <laughs> um, so that was your first um that was your first exposure to actually something that that you've told us humanity has seemed to seem to know for for thousands of years that there is this profound connection between, obviously, music in the mind and music in the body. I mean, y- you go back to the ancient Greeks.
2: Yeah, in some ways, um, like Pythagoras, ancient Greeks knew that um, there is some vibrations in sounds. Right? Sounds are, after all, vibrations, air molecules, uh, as they hit their, your ears. Um, and it was since ancient Greek times that we knew that sounds that were related to each other in mathematical ratios tend to sound good together. Right. So if I, if I could just have my violin with me here. Um, if I play an A... That's 440 hertz, so 440 cycles per second um, and uh, in, in general. And so what if I play an octave above that, those two notes sound, good together. Um, and the, the second note, the higher note, is twice the frequency, so 880 hertz. And so these perfect integer ratios, like two to one, three to two, uh, when you play them together, they sound consonant. And in fact, the word symphony, that, that's where it comes from, right? So it means sounding good together. So it's been since um, Pythagorean times that we've known about this. And Apollo, the, the god of Music was also the god of medicine, right? So there, there's been a long time link between music and, and sound and health. That
0: is my favorite fact of the month. That <laughs> <laughs> Apollo, the god of music, was also the god of medicine. Now, listen, we have just a, a, a few seconds before we have to take our first break, Professor Louis. But can you just describe to me um, when the music when music first enters the ear, right? Just tell me quickly, how many um, parts of the brain does it actually branch out into?
2: So, so, so many. (laughs) Um, Maybe not every single part of the brain, but many, many areas of the brain. And I should say that music doesn't only start with the auditory system, right? So we think in general um, that sounds hit your eardrums and with certain uh, vibrations. And and so it starts with the auditory system. But of course, when I'm playing violin, you're also watching me. So there's this auditory and visual connection. And then you're also um, using your attention. You're also using your working memory. So all these different cognitive uh, and and emotional areas are involved. So I would say maybe hundreds.
0: Wow. And also uh, motor movement, reward, motivation, all those things. Yes. So quite a complex reaction we're having when we watch and hear music. When we come back, we'll do an experiment. Okay, right. you brought your violin here, Professor Louis so let's do that. We're talking about music and the body this hour. This is On point. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're talking about if and how music can help not only your mind and your soul, but your body as well. And let me tell you, when we told you On Point listeners that were going to do this topic, we got inundated with your stories about how music has helped you. Here's Christine Rogers from Columbus, Ohio.
3: Oh my gosh, you picked my absolutely favorite topic in the whole wide world. Music has been how I have um, been able to function in society. It stayed with me, whether it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Stadium Arcadium album and Coldplay's X&Y in 2005 and 6 that got me through um, the first stages of recovery from an eating disorder um, to the Bach-Brandenburg concertos that just are my go-to when I'm feeling nostalgic or missing family.
0: So that's Christine in Columbus, Ohio. Richard also called us from Shenandoah County, Virginia. And He had quite a story. Earlier this year, his best friend, a police officer, was killed in the, line of, in the line of duty. And Richard's friend had been married only a few months. So one night after a church vigil, his friend's widow called him.
3: And said, I can't sleep. And I said, I don't know how you can sleep. Uh, I can barely sleep. So I sang her the first verse of Garth Brooks' song, The Dance.
1: Looking back on the memory of
4: The dance we shared Beneath the stars above For a moment All the world was right How could I have known that you'd
2: ever say goodbye.
3: Within the, the end of that few moments, I heard her sleeping. So that was definitely a benefit from being able to sing a nice song, you know.
0: It's Richard from Shenandoah County, Virginia. Professor Psyche-Louis is with us today. She's director of the Music, Imaging, and Neural Dynamics Laboratory, or the MIND Lab, at Northeastern University. And Professor Louis, you were nodding there when you heard Richard say that uh, just singing that one verse from Garth Brooks helped her, his grieving friend fall asleep. Why were you nodding?
2: I think there's something about music that can relax and also reduce agitation. Um, we actually had... Um, uh, a former participant in, in my studies who had um, lost her mother um, and she was grieving for her mother. And in doing so, um, she sought out some brain stimulation treatment actually. Um, and, um, and she actually was quite sad to report that after receiving the brain stimulation, she no longer felt the emotions that she used to feel for music. And so there's something about that um, intrinsic connections between music and the reward system um, that I think is valuable and treasured um, in um, human in pretty much every human society.
0: Right, and, and the example of helping fall asleep, also in the, even in the midst of grief, was quite powerful to me because clearly there's, like you said, reduction of agitation, some kind of physical uh, relaxation, um, and just the the ability for whatever the brain needs to do to fall asleep. And it was brought about by one verse of a Garth Brooks song. Well, I, as I mentioned, you have brought your violin here with uh, into I the have. studio. And I'd love to just basically do a live experiment about what music can do to the brain. Okay, experiment in quotes. So do um, you have a couple of tunes that... Uh, that you have as, as an example of different how different types of music uh, produce different responses,
2: right? So it's a little hard to do a whole. I mean, I, I wish I had a backup band, but um, <laughs> there's certainly a few demonstrations I can do. So, so for example, um, maybe I'll, I'll make this a little interactive. Okay. Um, Uh, maybe I'll I'll start playing along a a dance tune. Here's an an upbeat dance tune. It's called St. Anne's Reel. That's a fiddle tune. Uh, And I'd like you to clap along to it. Okay. Okay.
0: Stayed on beat. I didn't throw you off, did I? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. You stayed on beat, right? And
2: <laughs> and it turns out that there's this famous um, parrot called Snowball that can also dance to uh, on beat to music. Right? And not only can it dance on beat to music, but if you speed up the music, it can dance faster. If you slow down the music, it, you can, it's slower, right? So it's not just copying, right? It's actually phase locking um, to music. So that really um, demonstrates to us how the auditory system is really densely connected to the motor system. And that... And like that clapping by itself is very fun, right? And so I don't need to tell you or, or to, um, to have lots of musical training for people to go dance together or rock out together at concerts. And there's something about that, that experience of moving together and dancing together in time to music that seems to bring people together, right? So yeah. music as a vehicle for social bonding. And this was especially, of course, important when, um, when in, during a time when social interaction was limited, so like, like so during the pandemic, for example, you know, live music became online performances and still um, the number of people that kind of moved on to online performances as a way to bring people together. I think that's a really
0: kind of strong example of how music can bring people together. Yeah. And uh, I think the thing that really sticks with me is you're saying it's intrinsic, right? Right. There's something in the brain that makes that happen. Okay. So that was kind of an upbeat tune. What about, we got a lot of people who called us and said that they, um, sometimes they turn deliberately to more mellow or meditative Music um, because it helps them as well. So, do you have an example of that?
2: Sure. I'll play a little bit of solo Bach, and that I think is quite meditative. This is the prelude from Sonata Number One. So that's a slower and more reflective tune. Um, I think there's something about the solo violin that um, can be especially um, introspective as well. Um, and of course, Bach wrote so many tunes, some of which are originally dance tunes. Um, this was not one of them. So, um, so you, you hear a more variable um, tempo. You hear. Um, more differences in, uh, in harmony. And so I think that added complexity um, maybe brings folks to be a little bit more um, kind of out of
0: the groove mode and into the more absorbed um, yeah. kind of listening mode. And since we're trying to understand today, then what impact that experience of the music might have not just on the mind or emotions, but the body as well? I mean, what do we know about that?
2: There's so much, right? So, have you ever gotten chills when you listen to music? Oh, yeah. Oh, all absolutely, the time? for
0: sure. Great. So, even songs get, like, I, you know, actually, especially happens with songs I know really well, but it still produces that like shiver.
2: Right. So, there's an effect of familiarity, right? So, what we're seeing is that music that you love, especially music that um, gets you these peak emotional experiences, like chills or hair standing on end, um, engages not only the auditory system of the brain, but also the reward system of the brain. So uh, so the network of your brain that's normally active for food and for sex and for for drugs or, um, or for gambling um, actually is not only more active, but more connected and correlated in its activity with the auditory system in the brain. So in a different way, you can think of music as a way to... Uh, as an auditory channel into those reward systems, and we know that that reward system is important for um, multiple forms of motivated behavior, right? So when animals seek out food, right, that's because of that reward system, so the dopaminergic um, neurotransmitter system that's at play here. Um, Yeah, so I think of music as a way to get at um, this very general system, right? So. Well, two general systems, one of which is the motor system, and that's also connected to language, right, because we we need the motor system to be able to speak, Um, and another system being the reward system. And together, um, that gets you the meditative side and also the the more... um, kind of upbeat um, okay. side. So different kinds of um, of effects on the body.
0: So um, I just want you to know that uh, there are a couple of more examples that I'd love you to play on your violin, but we're going to do that a little later in the show, okay? Because um, there's just so much to talk about and I would love to hear you play more uh, in a few minutes. Uh, but let's just return briefly to the many examples that we received from On Point listeners uh, about how music has helped them, and particularly helped their bodies. There were just so many incredible stories we received. So here's one from Lydia Moland from Fremont, Maine, who called us with a very vivid example.
3: I, about 10 years ago, was skiing in northern Maine, and going down a hill, my skis got tangled. Um, And I snapped my femur, which a broken femur, I later learned, is one of the most painful injuries uh, known to humans. And my husband and I were way um, off the grid. We were far away from the cabins we were staying in. And so he had to ski for help to try to rescue me.
0: Well, Lydia understandably got scared, both because of the pain she was experiencing and because her body was starting to get very cold. But then...
3: I remember Garrison Keillor saying once that A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the Lutheran hymn is a Norwegian fight song. And I'm Norwegian by heritage and Lutheran in my background. And so I lay there in the snow with my broken femur and started singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God uh, at the top of my lungs. I got tired of that, I sang every other song I could think of. And when help finally arrived, um, everyone was shocked at how conscious and coherent and calm I was.
0: And Lydia says she kept singing as rescuers carried her down with a snowmobile and she kept singing in her three-hour ambulance ride to a hospital in Portland, Maine.
3: They were incredulous how little morphine I had used, um, and I give singing and music credit for that. It Singing kept me warm and distracted. Um, it made me feel less alone as I lay there in the snow by myself, um, and I think it kind of saved my life.
0: That's On Point listener Lydia Molen from Freeport, Maine. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Well, let's bring Pierre Limbiazzi into the conversation. He's a professor of cardiology at University College London and Barts Heart Centre, and he's with us from London. Professor Limbiazzi, welcome to On Point.
4: Thank you very much. Hello. Uh,
0: So tell us about the role that music uh, can play with pain management. Have have you seen this in your own patients?
4: Yes, certainly I have, and um, we have some patients who cannot necessarily have certain drugs for pain relief um, because of their condition and uh, we've used uh, music giving patients headphones to listen to their favorite music and that's a very important point that Professor Hansa made that if it's their favorite music they listen to it's very distracting and enables us to do procedures that sometimes we would need very heavy sedation or pain relief for so we found it very helpful for certain patients.
0: Why does it work? How does it work? (laughs)
4: That's a very complex uh, (laughs) question, and I don't think we really have all the answers to that. I think certainly there's an element that um, it can be distracting and uh, take people away from their perceived experience. Um, Also, there are physical effects of music um, on the circulation and the blood pressure. And uh, we have data to show that um, certain types of music certainly can affect blood pressure and heart rate responses. And if the music is slowing the heart rate, there can be reductions in blood pressure and um, levels of stress um, in these individuals or in in everybody, really.
0: Professor Louis, did you want to add to that about pain and music? Yeah, I
2: think part of what struck me about that uh, mighty fortress is our God is what a large backing choir there was in that that performance. And and I think, um, you know, going back to this idea that music is important for social bonding, um, you know, this feeling that somebody is going through it with you is also, I think, important for many reasons, that, including um, pa- pain reduction. And so, yeah, so I think that's part of, um, that's one thing. Another thing that Pierre said that was very um, striking is, you know, that, you see that music can reduce um, blood pressure and heart rate. Um, And I would add that we're seeing that um, the insula, which is an area in the brain that has dense connections towards the vagus nerve and therefore towards the um, um, peripheral nervous system, um, turns out to be part of this chills response as well, right? So when you're listening to music that you really love and you're getting a strong emotional experience to it, Um, the auditory cortex is connecting through the insula to other areas of the reward system. So I think that kind of heart-brain-body connection um, is really Mm -hmm. tapped into by um, musical sounds, and especially music that we choose to listen to because of that added mm. effect of familiarity.
0: Well, Professor Limbiazzi, I mean, you're a professor of cardiology specifically uh, at UCL. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us just a, a little bit more uh, about the kinds of experiments or research that you've done about regarding music and heart health?
4: Right. So we've studied a, a number of aspects. We started out actually by looking at the effects of mental stress on the heart and uh we we've done studies where we've played films um to patients and also Uh, looked at asking them very difficult nautical questions um, to put them under stress and shown stress effects on the heart. With regard to music, often if you play a film and you remove the music from the film, you get a very, very different flattened response. So the music itself is influencing the electrical behaviour of the heart um, in a particular scene that might be perceived as a very stressful scene. But in the absence of the music, it's gone. This is what, for example, Alfred Hitchcock was very effective at using violins, for example, in... uh, in, uh, in his movies to, uh, to to put put individuals on edge.
0: So the music itself is influencing the electrical behavior of the heart. That is remarkable. So Professor Pierre Limbiazzi and Professor Psyche-Louis, hang on for just a minute. We will come back shortly and talk more about music uh, and the body and i'd love to hear from both of you sort of what uh, lessons people can take from this conversation in their own lives as they seek to uh, use music to to heal themselves so talk about that in a minute this is on point This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're talking about music and its healing power, not just on your emotions or your mood, but maybe even the body as well. Pierre Lambiazzi joins us. He's in London, and Psyche Louie is with us as well. She's right here in the On Point studio. Uh, and and Pierre and Psyche, as I keep saying throughout the hour, we got a tremendous response from listeners when we told them we were going to talk about this. So I want to share a couple more of their stories first. This is Michael Alexander. He called us from Los Angeles. And he works in a nonprofit uh, in the performing arts world. and He's been doing that for a half century. He was the director of Grand Performances, a free outdoor summer performing arts series in downtown L.A. for 27 years. And he said early in his career, there was a moment once when an audience member approached him after a concert. A gentleman came up to me to thank me for our programs. He proceeded to tell me
3: that he had been homeless for 63 days. He had a heart attack and had been hospitalized. He had no health insurance and therefore lost his home and his car. He said he had set two sets of clothes and these were the good ones. He told me that if it were not for our programs in the public library, he would have gone crazy. This was my first testimonial from someone telling me how the arts were saving his life. I realized then that all of us working in the nonprofit arts were keeping society from going crazy.
0: That's Michael from L.A. Here's Molly Spell from Richmond, Virginia, who told us that every time she listens to Claire de Lune on the piano, it makes her feel wonderfully sad.
3: It's been a song that I go to when I just need to embrace feeling sad. A few months ago, I lost a dear pet and finally laid her to rest. The other day, and just wanted to sort of get in touch with my feelings. And so I put on Claire de Lune, and I had a really good cry, and it just sort of centered me.
0: That's Molly. From Richmond, Virginia. Thank you, Molly, for that story. Uh, Professor Louie, I have to say, we have um, very keen listeners in the On Point audience. And Sue Tori wrote in on Facebook uh, regarding the reel that you were playing earlier oh. and that I was clapping to. And Sue says, "Magna!" Exclamation point! You are clapping on one and three. (laughs) That's okay for a traditional, real, but uncool otherwise. Uh, Please ask Professor Louis about the difference between clapping on one and three versus two and four.
2: Oh, that's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right, And I think um, there's something about... You're supposed to clap on the backbeat, right? I mean, this idea of playing on the backbeat, that's playing with your expectations. And I think that gets into why groove, why people love groovy music so much, right? Like this idea that, oh, I can, if I got a groove, then I have a, I'm having a better day already. Um, and so let's do a little demo, right? Okay. So, you know, um, Billie Jean? Our, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that song? <laughs> yeah. So one, two, three, four. Right, so that that higher note is um, a little di- bit displaced, right? So it's a little bit earlier. So if I'd, and so that that's kind of sets up the groove. If I'd done,
0: <laughs> that's now
2: on the beat, and there's something about it that just really kills the groove, right? So, so this a little bit more complexity, a little bit more playing with expectations, um, is I think what the reward
0: system of the brain is slatching onto do you know that that little demonstration that you just did it utterly transforms that that piece right, right. because like like you know billy jean from the first three yeah. notes yeah. really yeah. Uh, and then if you just that slight shift i was like wow that's really boring <laughs> without right without it amazing okay um uh, uh, psyche and pierre what I, I want to keep pressing forward on, you know, what we know or what we are learning. Let's put it that way. Between the the connection between music, the brain, and then the 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 body uh, more wholly. So, Professor Lembiasi, you know, I'm thinking of different body systems, the the immune yep. system, inflammation, things like that. Um, uh, what can you say that research is telling us along those lines?
4: Well, I I can I can start with. Um things that are much easier for us to measure. So, okay. for example, with the cardiovascular system, um, there's very, very good work that's shown that certain types of music or certain operatic um, areas, for example, Nessun Dorma, they have a, a frequency of six cycles per minute. And when when uh, individuals listen to that, there's an entrainment that happens, there's an alignment that occurs between the blood pressure and the heart rate. So there are natural biorhythms of fluctuations in blood pressure uh, called Meyer waves. They're the same cycle, the same frequency as, uh, for example, Nessun Dorma. And it's this alignment that is thought to result in people appreciating the music more and getting the... uh, and and really... um, Getting an emotional response with with the music mm.
0: um, no, I was just going to quickly uh, quickly uh, yes. jump in here forgive forgive the interruption professor, but sure. you know, uh, it just occurred to me that we're um, referencing a lot of Western music, but of course, music yeah. is a totally universal thing to humanity mm-hmm. so so we see these similar patterns in every culture and in in, in, uh, in every culture's music
4: yeah, I think this this is, this is it's a fundamental. Um, aspect that we all have the same physiology yes, and uh, there are natural um cycles in the brain and in the uh uh in the nervous system which be, which i i it becomes you wonder whether the the the, the original composers of the music that we listen to way back you know uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, were detecting these natural cycles within their own physiology and then reflecting that in the, mu- in the music they created, um, it w- it was basically with a drum. And that then also gave them a a, sensa- a positive sensation and you get this sort of positive feedback from the music. It could be something as fundamental as that because there are natural oscillators in the brain, as it were, um, which control our respir- breathing rate, our heart rate and other physiological processes. Mm. Professor Louis?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree that there's oscillations and entrainment going on. And I would add that it's not only in the heart, but brain waves or, or neurons, the way that neurons communicate with each other to enable behavior um, mm-hmm. that hinges on different frequencies of these um, rhythmic um and trainment ryth- rhythmic brainwaves that are in tune with each other. So, maybe one thing that music does is that is it tunes your brainwaves and it tunes your, your body um, towards certain frequencies um, that might be important for brain health. And, and we know that, for example, in neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease, there's a desynchronization or disruption of this rhythmic activity of the brain. So if we can use music to retrain or retune um, those desynchronized activities, then we might be able to use music for um, for specifically tailored um, good.
0: Yeah. So can you mm-hmm. tell me more about that? Because this comes up over and over again about music and memory, uh, and then specifically in, in patients who are suffering dementia or Alzheimer's. I've heard, I've heard any number of stories. I mean, you started with one.
2: Right, uh, right. And I think it's um, that's also a really important point about culture, right? So every human society has music, but it has different... Forms of music, even though they might all have sound, or they might use bodies to make sounds, but the sounds that come out are quite different, right? So the musical scales in Chinese culture, for example, is quite different from musical scales in Western cultures. Um, but I think what the brain is able to do, right, regardless of culture, is form form expectations for the sounds that are common in your culture. So in a way, the culture is a kind of filter. And I think that um, there are certain times during your lifespan, like let's say during adolescence. Um, when music is especially rewarding, right? So if you ask an older adult, you know, think about music in your life that has been especially important for you, chances are they'll bring up something from their adolescence. Um, So there's something about music forming those, those autobiographical associations, and then that engages the reward system as well. So I think that's why when we're designing music-based interventions for um, Alzheimer's disease or, or for neurodegenerative disorders more, more generally, it's important to, um, to let participants choose their own music uh-huh. And also um, to think through a tailored experience, you know, to think through what exactly it's doing, how it's targeting the the nervous system and, and the body more generally.
0: I see, uh, Professor uh, Lembiasi. Tell me more. Then we we we, we talked about um, some things that we can more easily measure in the body as it responds yeah. to music. Are there other systems that we have seen that music is having an impact on?
4: Uh, well, um, if you. You certainly can measure... The things that we can measure are pretty crude, really. So Mm -hmm. you can measure skin conductance, which is a measure of sweating, and uh, the blood flow within the skin. You can also measure blood flow in the brain. So there's evidence that in in time... with changes in blood pressure which occur, you can also measure changes in cerebral blood flow which correlate with the effects on blood pressure. So there are some simple things that we can measure that that align with these um, responses to the music. When you ask about immunity and uh, whether your immune system is affected by music, there's very early data to suggest that the vagus nerve influences the immune system as well. Um, And also um, there could be effects that we're not even really touching upon yet that could be influenced by music as well through the autonomic nervous system, which which, uh, regulates the whole body at a subconscious level.
0: The vagus nerve, remind me what that is.
4: The vag- there are two types of nerves: ones with adrenaline, that's called the adrenergic system. That's why your heart rate goes faster in a f- uh, fight-or-flight response. And the vagus, which slows the heart down, it's a it's a relaxing uh, nerve, as it were, for the nervous for the for the circulation and for the gut and um, other organ systems. And uh, it has an important um, effect on. Um, uh, even your uh, the uh, triggering of h- heart rhythm disorders, for example, which is our field, it's, it, if people who faint frequently, they have a very strong, we call it a vagal response, a, a vasovagal faint, when that reflex is much too strong and they faint much more easily. And that's due to this increased activity of the vagus nerve. And actually there are a large number of ganglia nerves um, around the heart which are now we're starting to target for treatment to prevent dangerous heart rhythms or even to treat recurrent fainting.
0: Wow. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. So I want to ask uh, about if there's another side of, to the coin here, right? Because we've been talking about the positive impacts uh, of of music here. Uh, Professor Louis, can can certain types of music or notes or rhythms or tones, you know, have a, a negative impact, if that's even sort of a way of looking at it?
2: Well, I guess if it's too loud, then it could blow <laughs> out your ears and <laughs> it would hurt your auditory system. Um, I mean, but there are some folks that, um, you know, think uh, maybe use music in an unhealthy way. So, for example, um, you're using Music to um, to regulate, uh, or instead of regulating. Uh, um a mood change, kind of using it to stay in an unhealthy, ruminative state. Um, so, um, so we have some survey scales to look at that the healthy and versus unhealthy music use um, scale. But um, yeah, but I would say in general, music because it is engaging so many different areas of the brain, and it is um, a reward seeking, right? So, looking for music in itself is something that's kind of a proactive and. Um, um, Activity that gives you this sense of agency, which is helpful for for many different kinds of motivated behavior. Um, I think just the act of looking for music to listen to and then listening to it and kind of in training to it, clapping along and singing along is generally useful for um, you know for for health mm-hmm. and for well being and quality of life.
0: Mm. Well, uh, Professor Limbiasi, it occurs to me then: the, the is there a a role for music, or could could music be a tool, an additional tool for physiological healing, um, maybe in in areas where traditional medicine sort of runs up against some some obstacles?
4: yeah, I think. There's definitely a window and an opportunity to utilise music for therapy, and we're starting to see that. As you've heard some examples already from patients and um, from Prof. Louis um, to do um, with treating anxiety, dementia, um, and also the, the the issue is how do you actually tailor the music? And you yeah. can and you've heard already it's the music that you like and the music you appreciate. And we're working on um, using an app that maybe gives you some information, some feedback about how the music, at least from the cardiovascular point of view, is influencing your heart and your circulation to see whether we can find pieces of music um, for patients to see if it can improve um, their blood pressure, um, can be be used as a therapy independent of drugs, but in a very, very tailored way. And that's work I'm doing with Elaine Chu, who's one of my um, colleagues working in this area. Um, so I think there is an opportunity to, to utilize it on a number of aspects of medicine. Um, it's just how do you get a precise, measurable response, which is what we need in medicine to prove efficacy, to prove, mm. prove a real effect rather than the placebo effect.
0: Yeah, and Professor Louie, I understand you're also working on um, how to tailor music, and not just the sound, but the entire experience of music for individual patients?
2: Yeah, we're interested in this idea of neural entrainment and how that you know music can be used to retune those disrupted brain rhythms and Alzheimer's disease. Um, and... So one thing we are doing is working with a startup company called Osillo Biosciences. Um, we're adding lights as a light show to music and the lights, you can use them to flicker in time to music. So think of your Christmas lights that are flickering in time to music. If you add an additional layer of frequencies to it, then that can be additionally used to stimulate the brain, maybe in frequencies that are disrupted or impaired in Alzheimer's disease. So I'm thinking of that as a way to tailor the experience of music in a way that would be helpful for specifically targeted, Disrupted brain networks. Okay.
0: Wow. Well, we're wrapping up the conversation now, and I have one last question for both of you. Uh, and Professor Lembiazzi, I'll start with you. Name one piece of music that you turn to when you just want to affect inf- some kind of uh, physical change in, in your own body.
4: Uh, I did think about this before, uh, <laughs> just as I sat down here today. And I, there are a few pieces of music I particularly like, usually just to wake me up, as it were, or get me going. And I like U2, the, uh, the band U2. So, for example, New Year's Day, for example, is a particularly motivating, energetic uh, tune I like. And so I'll, I'll use that if I'm going out on a bike ride, for example, or I need to G myself up.
0: Okay. And, and Professor Louis, same question to you.
2: For me, Rachmaninoff, piano concerto number two, second movement that always makes my heart uh, beat faster.
0: Well, Psyche Louie is director of the Music Imaging and Neural Dynamics Laboratory or the Mind Lab at Northeastern University. Professor Louie, thank you so much for coming in today and for bringing your violin as well. Thank you for having me. And Pierre Lembiasi, professor of cardiology at University College London and Barts Heart Centre. Professor Lembiasi, thank you so much as well. Thank you. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.